I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Eighth place was Anaya Bastianini's best Grand Prix result before the Malaysian Grand Prix, before taking his first win of the season. Welcome back to the Beast, Keith. Yeah, the beast is back. There's no doubt about that. And what a classy ride it was as well. Um, using a, a thumb rear brake for the first time as well. I mean, he's he got used to that pretty damn quick, didn't he? Um, the way they've set the bike up, obviously. I mean, we've seen it, haven't we, through through the year. You know, suddenly once you land on that, um, you know, Digi found a, a setting late in the season that worked for him. Now it looks like Bastianini has done the same thing as well. And could it have come at a better time for him? Absolutely not when there's that speculation about you know, Jorge Martin moving across into the red team, into the full factory team. Even more interesting than that, Paolo Giabatti, um, the, the main man, if you like, at Ducati, the on-site anyway, and uh, he's saying no team orders, the riders know what to do, I think was the quote. So at the end of the day, Pecco, despite the fact he can, you know, Bastianini can be his, his shotgun, if you like, as he was in the sprint, um, when it comes to race wins, and we move to Qatar, where Bastianini is particularly good at Qatar as well. I know it's a different Qatar because it's been completely resurfaced, and we've got a lot more about that coming up in uh, OMG here, so keep an eye out for us. But there's, a, there's a, a lot of things happening at this point of the year. Two more Grand Prix left, two more sprint races left, four races in total till we get to the end of the season, and only 14 points now between Pecco and, of course, Jorge Martin. So he's managed to claw one back this, this weekend, Pecco has. Um, Jorge Martin looked really disappointed at the end, as he would be, um, losing just that extra point. It must feel like 100 points at this particular stage of the season. So much going on there, but Bastianini back. Did you see the reaction? It was fantastic. Everybody, after the injuries he's had from going back to Portimao, where it all started, you know, he's, he's come back to take a race win in that kind of style on a racetrack that everybody considers to be one of the racetracks of the year. Um, magnificent you know fair dues to the boy yeah I think there were there were smiles all round for uh, Anaya Bastianini but one of the the big fallouts once again this weekend was all of this stuff around tyre pressures and and the limitations of it and now both Banyaya 
and Martin ha- have essentially used up their Joker. So at least they're on an even keel. But j- just explain to us again, for those who might not be familiar, you know, what this tyre pressure situation is all about and, and why it could have a bit of a, a, a sorry end to the championship because well, we don't want this thing decided by tyre pressure. It's a disaster. None of the riders want it. Um, that's a fact. None of the riders want it. I doubt any of the teams want it, although they understand the safety issue that Michelin are, are really dictating things here. I mean, Michelin have said, this is the minimum tyre pressure that we think is safe to operate with. Um, you've got to be operating with that for 50% of the race, or, or basically um, you're below the regulation um, tyre pressure. Um, everybody wants a softer tyre pressure, by the way, because you get more squidge. You know, as soon as you get heat in the tyre and it balloons, as everybody knows, hot air... <laughs> Hot air expands things. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) So in those circumstances, I am a living example of hot air and the expansion of things. And unfortunately, what happens with the front tyre balloons, and then you get less contact patch effectively. When you're trail, where all the time is made up, where all the passes are made up, is trail braking into a corner. By trail braking, I mean you are absolutely on the brake as hard as you possibly can be when it's upright. And as you tip into the corner, you're trailing off that front brake, taking, making it grip less and less and less on the way in. And you need that front tire to be with you. And when it becomes inconsistent, and this may have been Jorge Martin's problem at the weekend, he had to go with a safe tire pressure. So therefore, he could not make that motorbike perform in the manner he needed it to up front, the way that he would feel. These guys have got the kind of feel, you know, you're not going to be a gynecologist with somebody that's got better feel than the way these guys have got it. They it just... It just Every little nuance that you've got with a with a motorcycle, they can feel. Now, everything makes a difference. And, and you know, now that Bagnaia is in the same position, it's interesting what Jorge Martin has said, and I think it's, it's, it's bull, effectively. He's just fired this one out there for PR purposes that, you know, he doesn't care if he's a little bit under on tyre pressure when we get to Qatar. Well, so be it. He'll, he'll, he'll take the penalty. You know, you get the first is a warning. The second, you get a three-second time penalty. The third time you're you're under pressure, you get a six-second penalty. Fourth time is a twelve-second penalty. Um, so you know it's a it's a it's a major issue at the moment. Everybody's on. I think who's had a three-second? I'm just looking at the sheet here so far. Alicia Spargro has already had a, a three-second penalty, so he's had two um, uh, infringements of this particular rule. It's a nightmare. Nobody likes it at all, and it could decide the world championship easily. <laughs> You know, it could decide the World Championship. We could have Michelin actually dictating the World Championship purely and simply because they, they will not budge from this lower tyre pressure. I mean, it's a nightmare. I don't think there's anybody that likes it. I certainly don't and I haven't done from... I don't think anybody... It's like one of those things that snuck up on us. You know, oh, yeah, mm. we're going to get a warning for, for a tyre pressure. Next year, you're going you're to get disqualified. Yeah, next year is a completely different rule. You're going to get disqualified for being under a tyre... Uh, under the minimum tyre pressure... For fifty percent of the race, you, you you know it's and the problem is if you're in the other snag you have with this as well. I mean, there's several to it, but I mean, if you're in a bunch, if you've set your tire pressure to suit you out in fresh air, fine. If you're in a bunch all of a sudden, you've got half a dozen motorbikes all around you. Your tire pressure is going to go up, so therefore yeah. you will have adjusted that to suit it. You'd have started with a slightly lower pressure if you're expecting to be riding in in a pack. The problem you've got is. Track temperatures go up and down. Sometimes it can be 10 degrees different from uh, from what it was that you've tested on. So you can be miles out when you come to, to track temperature as well. I mean, the track has a massive you know difference on this. We're not expecting it to be quite as critical in Qatar or in Valencia, the final two rounds, because basically we're at night with one of them 
Um, things are a little bit cooler. They're a bit more consistent. So therefore, you might well, the rise and fall of a tyre pressure over the course of a race is not quite as great. So with luck, we won't have this dictating the World Championship. Yeah, so it sounds like then, from what you've just said, you know, the, the, these teams and riders aren't, you know, if they do get caught being under the limit or over the limit, it's, it's not, they're not doing it on purpose. It, it, it's it's th- something that they can't have full control over. They're so then what is... What, what is the solution then? I, I know you say disqual- it's going to go up to disqualification next season, but can you see a better solution in the long run? There's some very clever brains out there working out how they can regulate that tyre pressure throughout the race. You know, it's how you can safely mm. um, have some kind of tyre pressure valve or the like that, that will take the pressure, the extra pressure that, that it might build up. The fact is, is that, you know, when you they talk about this being a safety thing, huh, yeah. Take it from a rider's point of view, it's unsafe when your tyre pressure gets to a level that you have got a round front tyre that's ballooned and you ain't got the grip that you had at the front end and you wipe out half the field when you come down into a, a corner you were expecting a similar consistent amount of grip from. So it's all very well, Michelin, saying this is a safety thing, you know, you can't go below this pressure. Um, but the problem is, if they've got it slightly wrong, um, it, it can be a disaster both ways. When was the last time you heard of a front tyre failing? I can't remember the last time a tyre failed. Um, there's got to be a better way. Uh, whether there is a, a, like a, I've said it before, maybe we can run some kind of pressure tank within the hub of the, the wheel or something incorporated into the wheel. I don't know. I mean, like I'm not an engineer of that level. Um, but there will be people, some very smart people looking at this. You can bet something's going to turn up on a Ducati at some stage, that's for sure, um, over, the, over the winter. If this is what's going to happen next year. You know, the ideal thing would be Michelin to build a bloody tyre that didn't give us this inconsistency from one to the other. Um, we'll wait and see. Um, yeah, but as a safety issue, I, I keep hearing people saying safety issue, safety issue. Well, how about a rider safety issue in the fact that when your tyre is, is too too ballooned, too, too in other words, too higher pressure, you've got no grip at the front end and you wipe out half your mates. You know, I, 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 I just don't... I hate this thing. I absolutely... It's funny how track limits have fallen to one side, haven't they? We're suddenly <laughs> suddenly we're ignoring track limits, all the things that annoyed us before, and now we're being annoyed massively by tire pressures. They're so oh, bloody sorry. boring. I don't even want to talk about them. Well, go on then. Let's let's move on to uh, well. While we're on the subject of penalties, I just want to see off because we had a couple of people messaging in, being like, "Uh oh, Fabio's done it again. He's getting his kit off before he's he's entitled to do it." Um, and a, a thousand euro fine for Fabio. I'm doing helmet strap in pit lane as he returned to the garage during okay. final. It, uh, very quickly, it's a technicality. You shouldn't do. He's got a thousand euro fine. Thousand euro to him is like a penny to us. So forget it. It's done. He's been fined. Done. It's it's firing. It's just. To stop any precedent of, of people doing stuff they shouldn't be doing when it comes to their kit, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's uh, the headmaster has spoken. Thousand euro fine is nothing. Though, as, as far as I remember, um, those fines that the riders pick up, if they pick up a fine, go to two wheels for life. It used to be a case of back in the day when it was riders for health. It's changed guys slightly now, but it's still under the the auspices under the, the umbrella of Dorna as the, the um, main tra- uh, charity of the MoGP, um, the fines used to go to Two Wheels for Life. Um, so I'll have to check up on that one to see if they've had an extra thousand uh, euros in their bin. Yeah, no, it's, it's similar a little bit in Formula One. The, the FIA say that any driver penalties go towards funding grassroots level charities Good. within and surrounding motorsport, especially as F1 just ramped up one of their fines. Are you trying to, to say million. we didn't think of it ourselves? 
No, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare. We're not dare, not on this show. Um, okay, let's move on to one of the other big talking points out of the weekend as well, off track, really. And that is the continuing uh, rumours around who is going to fill this Repsol Honda seat. Huh. Luca Marini has now emerged as top contender. Even Valentino Rossi did a little bit of a tease on Instagram with him and his Honda overalls giving giving a sign. Do you think this might be a, a wise move for Marini? Well, I'm glad you started off with that rather than the speculation of it. I mean, I see Sky Sports Italia have gone with it. Um, it's all but a done deal and they're just about to cross the T and dot the I. Mm. Um, it's a very... It's funny, you know, you're going to laugh at this. I was watching yesterday, sad git that I am, an old Top Gear program with Lewis Hamilton in it when he had just switched to Mercedes. And if you remember, he went from McLaren to Mercedes, and Mercedes was definitely not the car to switch to. And I remember I followed Formula One, and I remember thinking, shit, he must know something none of us know, because that car just isn't performing. It isn't going to be the, the machine of the moment. And look where he has gone with that. So it's a kind of a... I think we have to be careful when we say, you know, Honda's a shit bike, it's not going anywhere and all the rest of it. Because Honda is a big firm, they're a big company. Um, Luca Marini is kind of there or thereabouts in the in the sort of top half dozen uh, riders of the world at the moment. Um, he's taken a punt. It's a massive risk, I would say, for him and for Honda. Mm. I mean, it could all come apart within, you know, within minutes. But they are... They're going from a, a 20 million a bloody year or whatever it was for, for Mark Marquez. So there's massive amounts of budget already in the corporate system. They'll have already allowed for a large pay packet for somebody. And to get someone of a, you know, Rossi's brother in the team on a Honda is, is a bit of a, a coup for them. And it may be a smart move. We've got the same thing in World Superbike, don't we? Top Rack going to BMW. Now, if BMW pick up their pace and Top Rack is riding like he can, you know, that may be a massive, massive coup for BMW, or it could all end in tears and everybody blaming each other for, for, for the not performing. Similar thing could be with Luca Marini. I mean, it's very, I mean, it's exciting. Very, very exciting. The one thing you can always guarantee if your name is um, anywhere near associated with Rossi, it's going to be an exciting thing. And they will have thought about it. They will have looked, they would have done that due diligence. They will have looked at where Honda want to go and what Honda want to do. And Honda will have had to have persuaded Luca Marini, someone of his pedigree to to make the move but from a financial point of view the boy you know won't need to work again will he no well off that joey has asked a couple of questions he said first of all why does it seem honda haven't considered top rack and then if marini does go who takes his vr46 seat yeah well that's yeah that's that's the great exciting thing of this isn't it because i think we've still mm. got a bit of a shuffle going around in the uh, ducati camp um territory at the moment um I don't know who will take his seat. Well, well, Joey has suggested Vietti. Mm, I think you're going to be looking at the late minute, you know, risers during mm. the course of this year. I think that it's, okay. uh, it's. I don't. I, I. I generally don't get involved too much in speculation of these things because they, they have a habit of biting you on the ass about five minutes after you've said them. <laughs> Um, yeah. So I kind of, kind of, I wait for the official press release. I think speculation is is fun for for digital media and everybody making their 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 stories up. Um, no one thought of the Luca Marini one, did they? <laughs> That's for sure. No, no, we've been around what, the houses. What was the first, with, what was the first that? part of that question again? What uh, it, 
It was uh, it was essentially uh, the top rack. Why, why doesn't he seem to have been considered? I think probably what happened with top rack is he went and did that Yamaha test and it didn't turn out very well, did it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. that he's sort of labelled with the superbike rider tag. Um, it sort of suits his personality. His management, Keenan Sofoglu, if you remember, is a is a is a world champion himself many times over in in Supersport World Championships. So Keenan knows the knows the crack, knows what's going to suit his Turkish um, uh, compadre. Um, it's going to be one of them situations where Top Rack, I think, is comfortable in World Superbikes. And let's see what he does on a BMW. I think when he went to do that MotoGP Yamaha test, it didn't really work out the way that he thought it would for either Yamaha or for him. Mm. Um, and that might have been a firing or a warning shot across the bowels of everyone in MotoGP who were thinking about trying to poach him. Maybe. Maybe, just maybe. All right. Well, what did I you, say Jay. about not speculating on comments? <laughs> That's the thing. I think you said that a few times. I'm, at the end of the year, we're going to clip up every time you said that <laughs> and then see how many. The problem is, Harry, I can't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> That's why we do a podcast. Um, thank you, Joey, for those questions. Um, let's uh, go to KTM next because there were quite a few uh, questions that were sent in to us uh, over the weekend of their race performance in Malaysia and, and overall, actually, the last couple of weekends. Um, Femba said, uh, I noticed while I was watching in Thailand that um, Binder's KTM didn't seem like it broke nearly as late as Jorge Martin's Ducati. Why do you think that might be happening? And and how good is the KTM bike going to be in time for Pedro Acosta's arrival next season? Well, that's another very good question because KTM looked like they were taking massive strides, didn't they? But they've slowed Mm. up a little bit at the moment. It's been a bit more about Binder than the bike. Um, when we get to places like Thailand, I think <clears throat> Binder's riding style is beautiful. It's a, it's a slightly old school, and I like that. It's, uh, it w- of course, I would. Um, it, it, it kind of it suits the bike as it is. I, I think development-wise, they've made that massive step with the carbon chassis, um, and it's kind of stopped at the minute. They're finding their way, I think, still. Um, trying to work out all that data is huge. You know, Trying to work your way through everything that's being slung at the, the tech guys behind the scenes. I mean, let's see where they go at Qatar. Qatar is an unknown quantity. Again, we're going to be in a situation where all the data you had, you know, should be out the window because, you know, Formula One were complaining about it being a low grip. Well, it's never been the grippiest of tracks, um, but it's it's got some massively long, fast braking points and so on and so forth. And we'll see, it should be a Ducati track, of course. Um, be interesting to see where the KTM is again. Jack Miller is, you know, He's doing okay, Jack Miller, but he's not made the step with the bike. Binder has. And I think that that, uh, we're yet to see Jack back to the kind of form that we know he's capable of. So as soon as he finds the the right kind of setting, and we're finding more and more lately that people are working stuff out later. I mentioned Digi earlier on, Bastianini now this weekend. You can't rule any of them out. Anything that covers a grid by a second in qualifying, you know each one of those bikes, teams, riders has got the potential for sticking it on the podium, you know, at any given time. And that's the exciting thing about MotoGP at the minute. Fine. Well, at the minute, fine. for years now. Well, exactly. <laughs> fine margins. It, it, it's it's constantly impressive. Um, another. It was a, a bit of a miserable weekend, though, for... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. For um, Aprilia and Alicia Sparkrow, I don't know, I lost count of how many times he uh, he found the tarmac. And and uh, again, more questions. Moto Psychos has said, do you think Aprilia have the personnel in place to bring that bike to the next level they seem to have plateau- uh, plateaued a bit and they clearly don't really have any answers for for that bike performing in hot weather conditions well you're right um and that is always going to be a question but first of all getting back to the crash thing um mm. you know i see mark marquez as uh as as equaled his 2017 record of um falls i looked at the falls list earlier on today and uh and, and mark marquez is um He's crashing his brains out again this year. He's getting away with it, but um, he's crashing his brains out for midfield positions, which is remarkable, really. He doesn't lack commitment, that's for certain. But getting back to the Aprilia, again, it looked like that was the motorbike that was, that was making great strides um, earlier in the season. I think what happens is is that you everybody makes tiny little steps throughout every single time that every lap counts. And they all make a tiny step. And some make just that tiny step more than others. And I think that that's where perhaps Aprilia has started to slide back. It's not that it's a bad bike. It's a bloody good bike. They're all good bikes now. Um, but it just seems that they're not able to to get that next sort of thousands of a second out of it here and there. Um, you know, I was surprised that Aprilia have done anywhere near as well as they have done this year. They certainly wasn't expected after testing at the beginning of the year. But... Um, so I think that, again, we're going to have to wait and see. Unfortunately, we finish on two horrible tracks, really. I mean, Qatar doesn't suit, suit everybody, I suppose. And with the changes that are there, there's no data. So it's at nighttime as well. And, the, and the, you, you're practicing in the daylight and then you're racing in the, in the, in the dark. It's, and then you've got that wonderful dew point that comes in at a certain time. So if you've got any delays, you can't go past it because the dew has then come down um, and, and, and basically makes the track as slippery as ice. So there's quite a few unique um, things to, to get over when we get to Qatar. Mm. And then Valencia, like I said so many times, I'm sorry, I, I, I know that people get annoyed with me slamming Silverstone occasionally and uh, Valencia likewise. Um, and, and and what's the other one they get annoyed with? Oh, yeah, Phillip Island, calling it a nanny state. Everybody gets upset. We, we, we've well, got an hour. Gets upset about it. Anybody who lives in Phillip <laughs> Island does. We've got an hour of you just slagging those three circuits off. It's enough for a whole podcast. Well, it's not. I'm not kind of slagging them off. I'm picking up on their horrible bits. Yeah, um, yeah. But Valencia, I, I, I've never understood it. We've got four tracks in in Spain, and why the hell are we going to Valencia at the end of the year? I've got no clue. Um, it, it's a great track from a from a spectator point of view. It's a bit mm. like I've said before, like the Brands Hatch Indy track. You can see everything from anywhere in any grandstand. Um, so you're going to get an eyeful of action. But having said that, you don't get a lot of action because it's a bit line of stern around there. There's not a lot of passing places at Valencia. It's going to be cold. You know, we're going to have crashes and a world championship is going to, to Valencia at the end of the year. 
You well, still want to yeah. go though, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm here. I'll, I'll get on the plane out there. Um, actually, well, this we should have. This is this is the production meeting I should have had with you off air. But we uh, are going to be talking um, to uh, some circuit designers next week and the build up to Valencia. We were hoping to get them this week, but we've had to delay it for a week. But it'll be a really good chance to to pick their brains on, particularly looking back at the Qatar track. We know there's been lots of uh, talk from the Formula One about the curbing there, but also their opinions on Valencia and equally if you've got any questions that you want to ask people who who actually design and build tracks they did the Buddha International Circuit Mandalika um, so they know what a MotoGP track is in modern day so it'd well, be very I'm, handy to know do you know what I'm looking forward to this Harry I'm looking forward to it because I think that you will have the standard questions I, I know that you will have in your head but I've got quite a lot uh, <laughs> got, you know and particularly you know I remember that you know, most of these tracks are designed around Formula One and around car stuff, and they kind of fit the bikes in around them. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to find out how much these guys you know, collaborate with motorcycle people and so on and so forth. I noticed, and I, I, I checked out the board. I see Karun Chanduk is on there and consultancy board, but I don't see anybody from motorcycling on there, which makes it quite interesting from my perspective as well. I, I know that they will consult. Of course, they will. Um, Cota, for instance, Circuit of the Americas. Kevin Schwantz was the consultant there. <laughs> if you want to get a space cadet on board, then get Schwantz. <laughs> but it was, it's one of those situations where motorcycle racing is such a different discipline mm. and the demands that we need. I wonder how these car designers, which are, at the end of the day, Formula One is the moneymaker. There is no doubt about it. You've got to cater for Formula One. If you're designing racetracks, you've got to design a racetrack that suits the Formula One guys. But I wonder how much... Um, thought goes into the to the bike side of it as well i mean quite a lot i'm sure but i wonder how that works i wonder whether you know if bike boys put in a question or a a request whether the formula one guys knock it back um and how much Mm. a track designer has to put up with these two children fighting over what they want you know i want gravel no 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 we want tarmac you know that's the other thing cars want tarmac to spin off on we want gravel to go spinning off into yeah, you know, it, it's it's a real. It must be a nightmare from a from a track designer's point of view to, to try and get that right. Yeah, so it's well, going to be a really interesting episode, actually. It will be all those questions and more answered. So uh, if you've got any questions that you want answered, then do send them in. Uh, leave them in the comments section underneath this video, or you can email us omgmotogp at gmail dot com, uh, and we'll try and uh, throw them at our uh, circuit designers. Um, Back to the weekend's action in Malaysia. Let's let's head down the classes for a well, minute. Well, let's let's should cool. we do Bautista first? I mean, we've got oh, okay, we, go we've on. Got mention Bautista. Bautista. I mean, yeah, Alvaro, okay, Alvaro do you know, I, I felt slightly concerned about when Alvaro Bautista was coming to play. I mean, the two times now World Superbike champion came back into MotoGP. He was a fast MotoGP. He was from one two fives right away through. He's been fast all his life, Alvaro Bautista, and he comes back in as a wild card to Sepang, which is a great racetrack, but bloody hell, it's fast in places. You've got to really know your stuff. Um, and he steps on a motorbike that's turned into a spaceship since he was last year. It would be like be like me jumping into an electric car. What is all this? <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly he's got all these buttons and switches and rideites and bloody God knows what adjusters that he's got to do. And unsurprisingly, it blew his mind and he got blown off. It didn't work. Sad. No. No, it wasn't quite. Uh, I think he said in the build-up, wasn't it? Uh, he, he wasn't going to quite do um, what old Danny Pedrosa was able to do coming in on, on his walk-up. But of course, Pedrosa is still very much active as a, uh, a test rider with the modern-day kit. Um, 
So uh, nice to see him back, though, a part of the weekend uh, and on the bike. Um, Moto2, then. Let's go there because uh, the title was decided. We all knew it was coming eventually. Um, but it was actually Firmin Aldeguer who was uh, unstoppable out front for back-to-back wins from pole. But it was a double celebration on the podium for him and his win. And, of course, for Pedro Acosta, who picked up the 2023 title with a second-place finish. The Wonder Kid does it again, and he will move up to MotoGP next season. And then we'll really see what he's got. But um, what did you make of the Moto2 action in general, Kid? Aldeguer was outstanding. I mean, he was just in a class of his own, which which it was boring. The Moto two, remind you, the Moto GP race was boring actually in comparison well, yeah, to what you, we've had this year. Yeah. Um, it's very unusual to have two races that are boring on the plot. Thank God we're going to be talking about Moto three in a minute. Um, <laughs> but Moto two, Fermin Adegar was was what was he in the end? Seven seconds. I just had to look there because I didn't believe it. It was in my head. <laughs> Seven seconds he won by. And a further nine seconds back was Marcos Ramirez in third place. So Pedro Acosta, the new world champion, nice and safe in the middle at Sepang. Um, he'll take it any way you like. If it's boring, fine. That means there's no drama. Um, mm. Sam Lowe's and uh, Jake Dixon. Jake Dixon ended up in fifth place. I'm getting Chantra between him and Sam Lowe's. But the, for me, I mean, Marcos Ramirez really on the OnlyFans American racing. That's a result for them. That's a, that podium is a proper result. Um, so very happy with 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 those guys and uh, Ramirez has had some stick in the past, so good on him for that. And it, I mean, that's about it, really, isn't it? Moto two. Well, there, there's just one one spin off of Moto two before we come to Moto three, and it's because Rob has sent in a question about Aaron Canet, um, and and he's not happy with him, and and is wondering how he keeps getting rider contracts um, because it, it always seems to be uh, on the floor. He seems that the, the bar is quite low for, for Canet, but yet he's kind of keeping that young talent in Moto3 that should be moving up away. Rob is really quite critical of Aaron Canet. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you see where he's coming from? He's underperforming, that's for sure. And I think the frustration's coming out in the way that he, um, he ends up on the racetrack. I mean... I think we'll wait and see what happens over the winter again with with Kenneth. I mean, he's he's too much of a talent to be dropped off the end of it, really. I mean, you know, when he gets it right, he gets it very, very right. I mean, you can see how luck has some sometimes something something to do with these things. I mean, Arbolino this weekend had the worst luck of anybody, really. I mean, he, you know, the World Championship was still there, really, and and then he gets tangled up in the in in the first couple of turns, and then he ends up ramming. You know, I think Kenneth was part of that as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's a situation where. Luck has something to do with it. I think also that the season is so long, you don't really get much of a chance for a reset. You don't really get much of a chance to just step back a bit and then start moving forwards again. I, it depends a lot on the team that's around you as well. I'm not absolving Connect from any of the responsibility, of course. He's at the end of the day down at him. You know, he reminds me a little bit of Romano Fanati in that, you know, massive talent, but not really achieving what he should be achieving in the way that he should be achieving it so we'll wait and see that but mm. that the paddock's a critical place he won't be he won't be getting a ride for no no good reason let's put it that way no and and we've had the discussion before the amount of young talent that there is right now in in the two-wheeled world it's tough because there are so many good riders and they're quite frankly are not enough seats in, in any in any series right now so uh speak of moto three history made Colin Ve- uh, Vieja, Oveja. I can never say his last name, um, yeah. 
they hurt. Rode. He's a Dutchman with a with an Englishman's voice. Yeah, but near perfect from him to keep both uh, Sizaki and Jamal Masir behind for a first victory. Yeah, it was it was coming, wasn't it? Because he's he's, he's shown that kind of talent. But again, to do it on a plate, I think that's the first time he's ever raced at um, Sepang. I think that's from memory. But I mean, it was a it was a great ride from him, and I mean, he was right in there right from the beginning of it all. You know, Sasaki and Mazia perhaps had a little bit more to be um, concerned about, but it was Munoz again, who is the the, the pesky um, interferer in in the whole thing, wasn't it? Munoz and Ortola coming up through, but Munoz, I, I only read this this morning actually. He got dropped to seventeenth place in the end. He got a twenty seven second ride through penalty. So despite the fact Munoz ended up in fifth place, he didn't. He ended up in seventeenth in the end. Good job I read the sheets before we come on air with it. Yeah. <laughs> God, someone does. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think via brilliant and the two Asvanas, first and second, it doesn't get any better than that from a team perspective. At the time of the year, I mean, again, we're talking about Moto2 and Moto3. This is the time of the year where you're trying to nail down all those final sponsors for the following year if you haven't already got them in the bank. Hopefully you've got them in the bank by now. A result like that is always brilliant, and of course, it takes that world championship to the uh, to the next round as well. So we're still moving forward. What's the difference in points at the moment? So a quick squint of that. Um, Jama Masia thirteen points ahead of uh, Sasaki. So you know, similarly to MotoGP, um, Moto3 is in a similar position. We've got two rounds mm. left, and they've only got two races, whereas MotoGP have obviously got two sprints and two races uh, to go. Uh, certainly. Well, that one, I mean, Moto3 always entertains, doesn't it? But oh, uh, it was, it was, I mean, it's the best race of the day. I mean, I, I've argued often for putting it on last. <laughs> yeah. yeah, keep everyone there. Keep everyone in the stands. Um, now, before we, we are coming to the end, but let's just go back to MotoGP because I think we haven't spoken and I think it's a bit of a discredit, so we should talk about Alex Marquez um, because pretty good weekend from him once again, back on it after missing, you know, got injured, missed a couple of rounds, Australia ninth, Thailand uh, retired from the main Grand Prix, but back at it with a win in the sprint and a podium as well. Um, Flying. He is flying. It was interesting to see him in part Ferme afterwards. He had used up every single thing he had physically. Um, And I think that's... Getting prepared for next year. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a... Yeah. I think that's an indication of just how hard you have to ride and how much you have to give when these guys are pro- we're not talking about athletes of the, the the old days like us where you'd run around the block and you'd do a bit of this and a bit of that these guys are proper proper athletes and for them to be spent at the end of the day um the heat and the like i mean i think it also gives you some indication of the of the way these motorcycles the heat soak involved in them you've got this enormous source of horsepower and heat between your legs and different aero is, is meaning that the, the flow of air is different around you as well. I mean, some have been making the aero so the rider gets a bit more air on, 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 on them now to try and take some of the heat out of it, but it's impossible. You know, I, I, I'm always amazed that, again, I make the analogy with Formula One where they're strapped in that tub and they're, 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 they are basically slowly being cooked inside the tub. You know, it's a, and it's a similar thing now with even the bikes. You know, okay, we're... A, we're probably a bit more physical from the from the from the antics of what what you need to do on a bike to make it work. You're all over the place, but you're out in the air generally, 
Um, but even now, these guys are, are very, very close to being dehydrated at the end of a at the end of a race. Um, and we've seen it with Jorge Martin. We saw it at the weekend with Alex Marquez. You know, really, really worn out by the end of it. They're on their absolute endurance limit by the time we get to the end of a race. That will be something that will be a concern that will be coming up in the in the riders' meeting, in the safety briefings on a Friday and so on as we move forward because we're going to some fairly scorchio hot countries. And if we are getting to a point where riders' fatigue becomes an issue safety-wise, um, then that will be something that's got to be um, sorted um, effectively. But Alex Marquez is a ride. Another sprint race win, yeah, right in the middle of the podium on the, on, on the day. Um, I think if Bastianini hadn't popped that wonderful ride out, then we would have had Alex Marquez winning a Grand Prix. Um, mm. But it was just Bastianini who who had full control over his tyres, over his motorcycle, that rode fantastically well um, to, to take the win. And, and when you consider where he's come from, the step he's made is huge. And we go to Qatar, where Bastianini goes well. Um, so it should be an interesting weekend, really. Is Bastianini going to help Pecco? Now, I know that Giabatti said there's no team orders, but he said well, we the saw riders in the know they've got helped. to... Pardon me? We saw in the sprint he helped. He did help, but that's because probably he had no chance of winning the race at that particular point. Mm, yeah. um, so he, he did. But I think that... Um, Sprint race points-wise is not as important. To win an actual Grand this is where Alex Marquez has fallen down a bit at the moment. He's won a couple of sprints, but he hasn't won a Grand Prix. They're not called a Grand Prix. They're called a sprint. Um, so the main race is on a Sunday, and that's the one you want to win. And Bastianini performed superbly well to win it and thwart Alex's Marquez's double, which is what um, he'd be looking for, for sure. Mm. Well, could it be back-to-back -back for an Air Bastianini? As we say, we go straight into it again this weekend. Uh, two rounds left, four races left for MotoGP. Qatar up first. We'll be back for extra on Thursday to have a little preview and uh, deep dive into all things Qatar. Uh, and then following week in the build-up to Valencia, we'll get all technical with a bit of track design chat. So I hope you can join us for that. Uh, my thanks as always to Keith Hewitt. I've been Harry Benjamin. We are out of time. Thank you. Get in touch in all the usual ways at OMG MotoGP on all the social media platforms. Do leave us a review wherever you listen or watch these podcasts. Uh, and the email address is omgmotogp at gmail.com for any questions, queries, or comments. Uh, and we'll see you on Thursday. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.